screen question. So going back, they're, they're, they're trying to justify doing the Bracha before eating. Correct. By the Torah, and they can't do it. So saying, if you thank afterwards, how much more should you thank before? Of course. Nobody raises the issue of why thank God when you're hungry for what you don't have. Nobody, nobody is suggesting don't do it before. No, no, there's an expectation that it makes sense to say it before. Why? Okay. If you're hungry yeah, yeah. and you say it, then you appreciate it. Once you're satiated, you say, oh, what the heck. Okay. Okay? And that's when you're actually asked to say the bracha. I'm just, nobody raises that as a, as a point. No, no, no. I mean, again, it's a, a human nature. You know, if you go into the kitchen and, you, and when you were a kid and asked your mother for something to eat, you would thank her at that point. Right. But how many people, when they left the table, actually did the thanking? You just okay. left. Hmm? You just left, you just the, left the table. Okay. okay? I always learned that when the meal was finished, I always thanked my mother. Okay? okay? And she kind of said, yeah, go to the dishes or whatever. Uh, but anyhow, so I, I think that's that's what they're saying at this point. Okay. That there's a, uh, you know, as soon as you're hungry and you're willing to eat at that point, there's a sense of, ah, now I appreciate it. But afterwards, you kind of take it for granted. So what we what we've done here, okay, we're on Lamed Chetamud Bet, which is page one fifty six in this book. I'll let everybody else find their other places. Um, and we had this concept last time um, of Torah and Derech Eretz. Okay, Torah and Derech Eretz. Derech Eretz normally we mean is is to do with manners. In the rabbinic understanding, Derecheretz ultimately means the concept of work, of being involved in society and being involved with a sense of productive work. So you had the, the last time that we were together last week, it said there were two, they brought two verses, one is God doing it and one is you're doing it and it then basically said well what does that mean with Torah aren't you supposed to aren't you supposed to study Torah all the time is there a dichotomy is there a conflict is there a sense of you have to do one and not the other or do you do one and the other and we had the Divrei Rabbi Yishmael by Hanheg by Hen Min Hag Derech Eretz. Okay. In other words, we the, you do the way of the world, and the way of the world is you work and you do Torah. And as I said last time, <coughs> the actual motto of Yeshiva University is Torah in Derech Eretz. Okay. It's a this-worldly approach. And to the credit of people who go to Yeshiva University, it's a university. They get secular degrees. You won't hear that in ultra-Orthodox yeshivot because it's Torah Yomam Valayla. Okay? Very easily. Because it still says, You have a biblical verse which tells you, let everybody else worry about anything else. We'll save the world by studying Torah. That's how they justify it. So, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai then comes. And that's what we'll spend some time on in a few moments. If Shara Dam Choresh you do all of these things at its proper time, you're going to be involved in, in a creative agriculture, who has time to study Torah? Yet, how is it possible to do both at the very same time? Ella, bizman Yisrael, makum. When the children of Israel 
do God's work, then they are blessed. And what do they do? Other people do that work for them, and they can continue to study Torah. But when they don't follow God's word, then ultimately they have to do the work, and they don't get a chance to be privileged as such. The Torah study for Shimon Bar Yochai is above working in the world. If you're privileged enough to be able to study Torah, the rest will take care of itself. The rest will take care of itself. That's his philosophy, that's his theology, that's how he lived, and that's one of the stories we'll study in a few moments. Okay? So that's where we actually start. stopped at that point. Um, and to, in this book, it's just before the long lines, Velo Od. Velo Od. Everybody have it? No. No, I can't find it in your book, so. so Lamed Chet Amud Bet. I think so. I think that's a Chet. No, Lamed Hay. Sorry, it's a Hay. It looks like a Chet. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Thank you. Lamed Hay. Velo Od. Okay, that's where we've stopped. That Rabbi Shimon Bar Yachai says, if you're privileged, if you do God's work, you'll be blessed. People will do the work for you. If you don't follow God's word, the opposite will occur. Velo Od, and not only that, but who wants to read? Okay, you. Uh, <coughs> no, no, you skipped. No, we went back a lot. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Well, okay. So, what what then does it mean? It means lo od that if if you don't follow, you know, God's word, then. It's not going to be as good for you. If you follow God's word, you will have your work being done for you. Okay? By others. That's the blessing, ultimately, that you'll have. Amar Abaye. Amar Abaye. Harbeh asum karabi Ishmael. Ba'alta biyadam. Karabi Shimon ben Yochai. Velo alta biyadam. This is already a statement, okay? When does Shimon, when does Rabbi Ishmael live? You know, he's a bar plukta of Rabbi Akiva. Okay, there's the two schools of rabbinic thought of Rabbi Ishmael and Rabbi Akiva. So when does when does Rabbi Ishmael live? Second, second beginning of the second century. Okay, Rabbi Akiva and Ishmael see the destruction of the temple. They are both killed in the Hadrianic persecutions, 132 to 135 of the Common Era. They are killed as one of the ten martyrs. When does Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai live? He's a student of Rabbi Akiva. So he lives during the Hadrianic persecutions, we'll see, and beyond. Abaye already is in Babylonia. A couple generations later. Abaye and Rava. Okay? Third century already. He now verifies what this argument's all about and says, Rabbi Ishmael's correct. Those who follow Rabbi Ishmael, it's Torah and Derech Eretz, Al Tabiyadan. They are successful. Here, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yachai, Lo Al Tabiyadan. 
if you only follow Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, that you're only putting Torah study out there as the desideratum, you will not be successful. So a couple generations later in Babylonia, they're making already a, um, a judgment on what's appropriate. And what is appropriate is work and Torah. Following God's word, obviously. That's what those who follow Rabbi Shmael's view, Al-Tabiyadan, they're going to be successful. They will both work in the world and they will have Torah study. If you follow Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, you'll ultimately fail. How do we also deal with that statement? It's an opinion of one person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's the question. Right. It's the pin. Okay? Exactly. This is Abaye's opinion. Now, Abaye lives at a time when we know that the, the rabbis in Babylonia worked and taught. It wasn't their sole way of... Uh, uh, of, of creating uh, life, so that's what they were involved with. Anybody? Is yes, there, sir. Is there any sense that they were paid for their teaching? No, they weren't paid for their teaching. Rabbis weren't paid till the modern era. You know, they were taken care of. The Hasidic courts, for instance, took care of the rabbi, but you didn't get a salary per se. Even in the early 1900s, they were taking care of the community mm -hmm. with the salary. Um, it's still going on today. Michael it. And I got yeah. into a shared cab going from Jerusalem to the airport, and two other group couples came in. One was an Orthodox couple, and one was a very secular with a big Jewish gold star, and the wife had a sleeveless top. Chains. Right. And they got into an argument because the man wearing the star and the chain said, why aren't you out fighting with my son oh, in the army? And the other one said, if it wasn't for us studying, this whole country would be destroyed. Right. It's the argument, that, that's, that's the exact argument. Alright, you're right. It, it's clearly still going on. Okay, and it's very much of the culture of Israel and they're becoming more of the culture of Israel. The demographics show it. Okay, so here here you have a bias opinion. Clearly, to answer your question, Richard. There's your answer. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's let let's keep going. Amar Lehu Rabbah. Okay, Abai and Rabbah are, are are you know again at the same time. One usually agrees with one, one with the other. Here you have Rabbi says to Rabbanan to this uh, you know anonymous group. The Matuta Minayhu. Yomei Nisan ubiyomei Tishrei la tichazu kamai. Okay. Amarlahu Rabba Larabanan. Bimata Minayahu. Please, I'm but I'm asking of you a favor as such. Biomei Nisan in the days of Nisan and Yomei Tishrei. What seasons are those? That's the holidays, that's not the seasons. Spring and fall. If you're in agriculture, what are the most important seasons? That's when you have to work. Right? 
In those days, don't come before me. What did I want you to do? Get your work done. Okay, so what was the, the, the month in which they used to come to study? Elul. The month before Tishrei? Okay, the Archikala was in Elul. That's when they studied. The middle of August. That's not the growing season, it's the hot season. As soon as the weather begins to change, that's when you get involved with the agriculture. And clearly, in Tishrei, it's harvest time, etc. Okay, keep going. No, no, no. We didn't finish the sentence. No, 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 no. Go back a sentence. I didn't finish the sentence. So that you will be titardu, latrid, you won't be bothered. With your produce, with your mazon, with your food, kula shata, all year. Meaning, if you're going to be sitting there concerned about your business, you're not really going to put your mind on study. Your best bet is get your affairs in order. Do your work when you have to do your work. The rest of the time you'll be able to sit and study. What? Well, no, no, it's a very good, it's a very practical thing. You're not going to be able to sit there if you're worrying about where the next dollar is coming from. You're not going to be able to sit and study. Okay? If you're hungry, if you don't have your family taken care of, etc. Right? Unless you know somebody's paying for you. Okay? And that's what, of course, happens to a large extent, too, in the yeshiva. Okay, so, uh, in, in this sense, very practical. Abai and, and Rava are very practical. They're living in Babylonia. They're living at a time where the Jews had to work. They're living not in Israel where everything is all could be wonderful because the promise has not come about. And they recognize you've got to be part of society. You've got to work. And in order to be able to really study... Let your mind be free. Right? I think it's obviously great advice. Okay, now. Amar Rabba Barbar Hana, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Mishum Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Eli. We're back in the Palestine, right? We can see all by the, by the names. Bo Ure Shelo Kadorot Harishamim. Okay, so the 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 the, la, the latter generations were nowhere near the piety, the religiosity, the study of the first generations. How do I know? So the early generations which did what they put Torah above their work, both of them were blessed, work and Torah. The second generation, or the later latter generation, that put their work above their Torah study, they were not given the same uh, ability to be successful. So he's saying, what are they saying here? Both are important, but what is your primary purpose? Torah. Torah. 
And if you do, if you work enough to be able to study for Torah, that should be good enough. But if you do work and put Torah second, you eventually won't be successful in all of your endeavors. Now, this is tied into a number of things too. Um, in, in halakhic frameworks, as we've seen before, if you go back to earlier sources, they become more important than latter sources. And nitma'atu hadorot, that the generations have become lessened as you move further from Sinai. On the other hand, halakha kebatrayi, the halakha follows the last statement. And you have this continual tension, if you will, on the one hand of what's more important, earlier sources or latter understandings of earlier sources, etc. You have that in the law all the time. What's the most important court decision? An earlier one or the latest one? This is tied into this. And in this case, this group basically feels the earlier generations were better than the latter ones. They spent more time studying Torah, and therefore they were successful, if you will, whatever success means in this case. Now, um, let's stop there for a minute. This, this concept of Torah study and work is really an integral part of what we've seen today in terms of the discussion that Bessie brought up and Mike. Michael, um, and also in terms of clearly the Talmudic stuff. Most, when you study Talmud, you know, when I studied young, you thought everybody was involved in Torah study and everything was wonderful. Today we know that's not the case. Most people had nothing to do with it. These were probably little disciple groups. Uh, we talked about table fellowship and all kinds of other things too. But they learned to a large extent, as we've seen, from their teachers. And in this discipleship, the, the models that were presented to them were very strong. You have two major models here. One of Rabbi Ishmael, who represents a sense of you've got to live in this world and make Torah study a primary, but not exclusionary part of your life. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who doesn't really talk about living in this world, but instead you must make Torah study the, prim the primus primacy of your activities and the most important thing in your life, period. Shimon Bar Yachai is one of the most interesting characters we have in rabbinic literature and his legends continue to this very day. What holidays tied into Shimon Bar Yachai? Lag Baomer. He's supposed to be buried in Meiron. His yurtzai is supposed to be on Lag Baomer. And his set, and people go to Lag to Meron in the hundreds of thousands uh, on that ground. So sh the concept of Shimon Bar Yochai continues. Part of it is tied into the Bar Kochva rebellion, but part of it is tied into this significant individual. And what I wanted to do um, was to study the most famous Agadah of his life, founding in the Tractate of Shabbat because it deals exactly with this issue in this most interesting personality. So what we'll do is we'll study that I think I thought it was worthwhile to give you the text.
comes from the Babylonian tractate of Shabbat. 33b, 34a. Some of this will be familiar to you, but I want to study it in a certain kind of way, as an archetype. Okay? This is a model person. And the question is, are we supposed to model ourselves after him? That's what the Talmud's asking. And Abaye basically says, everybody who follows Yishmael can be successful. Those who follow Shimon Bar Yochai are not successful. Okay, that should be, I think that should be just enough. So, rather than reading it thank you, in the Hebrew, which we could clearly do, I was able to find this online in a nice translation. And I want to be able to study it as both an example of Shimon Bar Yochai, but really an, a legendary archetype. And you'll see it why I say that as we were as we're talking about this. Now, the time period, Hadrianic persecutions. Romans rule Palestine. We know that circumcision was not allowed. We know that Torah study study was not allowed. We know that smicha, the training of, of other rabbis, was not allowed. And eventually Hadrian destroys the Temple Mount and sets up Ailia Capitolina a pagan area to worship the Caesar. It is the lowest point of Jewish tradition times and it is a time when Bar Kokhba begins his revolt. He is renamed Bar Kokhba by Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Akiva and all his students follow the, uh, the rebellion and eventually this becomes when they are killed. The reason that the Omer is considered to be a time of mourning. So this is a critical time in critical stories of these kinds of people because it continues to have an effect on a whole period of seven weeks in our traditions and in particular Lagba Omer. And when did it occur? The latest, 135 of the Common Era. It's a long time ago. And things that we remember in that sense. And there have been many tragedies ever since. Look at the whole period of the Crusades and the Chemielnitsky pogroms and clearly show up. And we still remember the Ten Martyrs, the Bar Kokhba revolt, and this destruction. This is part of the story that's going to be with that background. Okay? Everybody with me? Okay. We'll do this one in the English so anybody can read it. Who wants to start? Nobody reads English? Michael. I guess... I guess if we did it in, uh, I don't know, Turkish, maybe people would read it. Yehuda and Rav Yosef and Rav Shimon Bar Yochai were sitting, and Yehuda ben Giram was sitting beside them. Okay, Rabbi Yehuda. We've had Rabbi Yehuda here. Rabbi Yehuda is Rabbi Yehuda Bar Eli. Okay. Also a student of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Yossi. It's Rabbi Yossi Chalaf ben Chalafta. Also a student of Rabbi Akiva. And Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon is simply Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. We're sitting with a person named as Yehuda ben Gerim. What an odd name. Okay? Gerim clearly means he was a child of Gerim, presumably. He was a child of converts. Because that's the only way we can take it. And to be, he, we don't know his father's name. Okay? 
Did he convert? Looks like his fa family may have converted. So he comes from outside Israelite society, outside of Jewish society. He's now one of the in-group. This is the in-group. This is Rabbi Yehuda uh, Akiva's students. You can't get more inner circle than that. And he's sitting with them. And you'll notice, it's the three of them together, and he's sitting with them. You've got to follow the language. Okay? He's not part of the group, but he's sitting with them. A little bit of an outsider. Okay. Rabbi Yehuda opened and said, How pleasant are the acts of this nation? This nation is? The Romans. They established markets, they established bathhouses, they established bridges. Well, who would define for me Rabbi Yehuda at this point? What do you know about Rabbi Yehuda from this statement? He's political. He's very political. He's PC. He's pro Rome. He's pro Rome. Look what they've done for us. We don't have our rule, but my God, what a gorgeous place. They gave us bathhouses, markets, bridges, nothing spiritual. All physical, all architectural, all recognizing the physical in all of this. Okay, that's where the Romans were. They based themselves on Greek and the gymnasia and everything else that goes with it. And the architecture and the great things that we still have from here on right through the Second Temple period. Wow, Rabbi Yehuda said, isn't this great? Next. Yossi was silent. Now, what does silent mean? He doesn't agree. He doesn't agree? Okay. Or he agrees. I'm saying that he could be afraid. Okay? We have the, the, the concept in Adami. If you're quiet, if somebody says something and you're quiet, it means you agree. You don't disagree. So we don't know, really, what Rabbi Yossi's position is. He may be, he was the one really who was PC. I don't know who's listening. This is not something I want to do. The Romans are out there. I'll be quiet. So some, you could easily say it. Jerry, you're correct. He does not, I don't necessarily agree. But I don't want to go out there on my own. Or it may be, you know, I don't have to do anything more. I'm going to shake my head. Dope. Shimon Bar Yochai answered and said, Everything they established, they established only for their own needs. They established markets to place prostitutes there, bathhouses to pamper themselves, and bridges to take tolls. Their purpose wasn't to take care of us, their purpose was to take care of them. Okay? What do you see about Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai in this case? The he is against the establishment. He hates Rome. Rome is in this not to help us. Rome is in this to subjugate us, persecute us, and take care of themselves. Well, you just told us all the things they wouldn't allow the Jews to do. So. Right. Okay. Is that a fact? The, uh, the Hebrews were not allowed to participate in the We were not allowed to participate in society, in that sense. Okay. Um, the, especially as the rebellion grew the persecutions became greater. Typically, the Romans, when they occupied countries, 
built their own cities mm -hmm. adjacent to the, the, the cities of the country and slowly depleted those cities economically. Right. They took over, that's why eventually they take over certain places right. by building and they take over the religious places which they, they see as the cultic political part of it, right. which is why they took really, uh, Hadrian took over, Elia Elia Capitolina, and threw the Jews out. So you have three opinions here. Yossi who says, hey, the Romans are good for us, look at all the things we get. Yossi is quiet, I don't know what he wants. Shimon Barachai is clearly against Rome. Who's sitting with them? Yehuda ben Gerim. Go ahead. Yehuda ben Gerim went and retold their words. Now that's perhaps why his name is Yehuda ben Gerim. He can't really be trusted. Okay? He's got some sort of roots that are not in line with the rest of the community. And it became known to the Roman government. So retold their words. I don't know who he said it to. See, Per Divrahim. And then they were told to the Roman. He may have just told his friends. Maybe he was sitting in a bathhouse. But somehow it got back to Roman authorities. Do we know whether Yehuda ben Gerim was actually Jewish? If, if it's ben Gerim, he should be. He converted. That's what, it, that's what you'd have to interpret it. So they said, Yehuda who extolled, Hey, Yehuda's going to get benefit from, right? He's, he loves the Romans. Let's give him a good job. Okay, Tsipori. If you've been to Tsipori in the north, it was a place of... Uh, okay, your, your family doesn't live too far from Tsipori. Right now it's got the great Mona Lisa uh, th there in terms of the, the mosaics. But Tsipori was a place of Torah, but it's in the north. It was not... He, where are they sitting, presumably? Jerusalem area. So they took it as he was silent, he didn't stand up for Rome. Shimon who disparaged, let him be killed. Okay, so we now have a bounty on Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's head. And the rest is about Shimon Bar Yochai. Not Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda, because we don't really care about him. He kind of went over to the other dark side. <coughs> Yossi went to the north, but Shimon Bar Yochai is now has a bounty on his head. And we really don't hear again about Yehuda uh, Ben. We don't hear right now in this story about Yehuda Ben Gerim, but does he, he does elsewhere. He, he's taken care of. Let's put it that way. That's the homework for next week. Okay. Okay. So if you're going to hide, where which might you want to hide? Among your friends. Okay. In the best midrash, presumably there may be some informers in there, but that's your friends, that's your colleagues. Aren't they going to try to take care of you? Each day his wife brought him bread and a jug of water, and they ate. When the decree became more severe, he said to his son, Women are easy minded, they may abuse her, and she will reveal. Okay, okay, this is used a number of times. Nashim Datan Kala. Okay, it means you can't trust women. It's really what it really means. But in this case, it's also a sense of protecting her. Okay, because they're going to torture her. If, any, if they find out at all that she's been trying to save them, they're going to torture her. We need to run. I mean, again, look at your concepts of the Shoah. People ran away so that others wouldn't be hurt as well. The families, etc. Okay. This is this is the this is the Shoah concept, he, being hit in the in the Beit Midrash, 
somebody serving them food, I want to run away so that person serving us food isn't hurt. Okay, so now they have to run. Where do they hide? They went and they hid in a cave. Supposedly, where is that cave? Up north in Mehron. A miracle happened. A carob tree and a spring of water were created for them. They took off their clothes and sat up to their necks in sand. All day they sat and studied, and when the time came to pray, they got out of the sand, dressed their bodies, covered their heads, and prayed, and again took off their clothes, all in order that they not wear out. They dwelt in the cave for 12 years. All right, let's examine what happens here. All right, so the cave itself is really a very important concept. Where else does a cave occur? King David. King David? Plato. Okay, Plato plays into here. Eventually, for the Rambam, the cave becomes an important place. What is what is inside the cave? Darkness, unknown. In David's case, spider webs and those kind of things. What's outside the cave? Light and life. If you're inside, the, living inside the cave, when we talk about cave dwellers. What do we normally think of? Very primitive. Very primitive. In the in the medieval times, hermits lived in caves. Okay, go through the Sinai and you'll see little indentations in the in the mountains. The cave clearly here is a symbol of getting away from life and the world. It's pristine. Now they're lucky. God blesses them with food and water. The carob tree can last forever. Just appears miraculously. Does God supporting their study or not supporting their study? Seems to be supporting. God gave them this, right? Okay. What's this dressing and undressing? It says here to save their clothes. Well, if you're going to wear your same clothes for 12 years every day, it's not going to last. But if you put it on only for certain times during the day you have a chance to last. They couldn't go out to the supermarket. You know, they couldn't ask Amazon to drop off clothes. <laughs> well, they couldn't yeah. ask to hang it because then they'd be detected. So what, what's this idea of, of putting on taking off clothes? There's an element of modesty in this. There is a chance of the modesty. Okay, what else? And respect for prayer. Respect for prayer, what else? <laughs> the physical is unimportant. Putting on clothes is the physical. All that's important is the spiritual. What's the only thing outside the sand? Their heads. It's all about your heads. It's all about the spiritual. It's all about the knowledge. Eventually, according to, to our tradition, what were they doing for 12 years? Creating the? The Zohar. The tradition is that this was a mystical experience. And out of their study came the Zohar, the great mystical book of Judaism, and of Jewish literature. We today know it was done by de Leon in uh, the uh, 13th century or so in Spain. But the tradition says this was the time. This was the pristine, mystical time. They weren't worried about the physical. They covered all their bodies. It was like the Gertel, if you will, in the real sense. Did you put, you know, the black 
chiffon thing that a chassid puts around to separate the lower from the upper. This separates all the lower. They have to eat. No choice. They have to show covet for prayer and modesty. Mm-hmm. But besides that, it's all spiritual. This is the cave. You can hide yourself away and commune with God and the mystical and the sense of real mysterious stuff. Because that's what the Zohar is. So they didn't have, they didn't have books? They didn't need books. They, and they didn't have light? They didn't so have anything. All oral so all, first of all, it's all oral. Any so help at that point? And secondly, it's all non-physical. Right. Sorry, somebody else? The prayers they recite, do we know what they were? It's a good question. The answer is we're just going to presume they're pretty close to ours. Uh, but we know the prayer service at that point was relatively close. There were a few changes over the time. but There was a Shema. There was an Amida. That we know. Okay? Everybody with me? All right. Now... I just was going to say, I think it's important that it's a father and a son. Correct. He didn't go by himself. There is a concept of Kavruta. Okay? And passing it on to the next generation. So, they're there for 12 years. Eh, you know, that's a significant period of time. What happened to his wife, there, his mother, the guy's mother? We don't know. Is it also on the magic number? 12? No, I don't think 12 years of this, not that I know of at least. 12 is not, not a normal... Well, 12 tribes. I, I know, but I don't think so, I just don't know. 12 apostles. 12 apostles. Thank you. We're going to get, but although, although we will get 12 in another case. We'll, we'll get 12 to another case, so maybe. Maybe. Okay. Keep going. All of a sudden, Elijah appears. Okay. Eliyahu Meaning, God's been watching all this. Elijah's still a messenger of God. Elijah comes and says. Who will inform Bar Yochai that the emperor died and the decree is annulled? Meaning, Elijah didn't say anything. He kind of whispered, "Oh, by the way, did you know that the emperor died? What happens when an emperor dies and a new one comes on the throne? Whole new set of rules. Hmm? Whole new set of rules. Right? And amnesty. Amnesty. Always. There's amnesty shown for those who have." You've done things wrong. The prisons are let out. It's a whole new way of showing your the compassion of the new ruler. And at that point, they said, you know, it's now safe. Twelve years have gone by. It's time to put back the clothes. It's time to leave the cave, this pristine spiritual place, and go back to the physical, to go back into the light in the world. That's it. Yeah. Why didn't Elijah speak directly to them? Was it inspiration? Was it spiritual? I would presume he left them to make the decision. You'll see that that their decisions are really very important. Um, And and I presume also it's a sense of Elijah doesn't speak to people. It's like a vision kind of thing. They saw men plowing and sowing. Shimon said, they forsake eternal life busy themselves with temporal life? Now just remember what we studied. This is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, consistent all the time. What's most important? Torah study. Torah study. And if you do God's will, you will be allowed to do Torah study and other people will take care of your food, your food niche. 
Now they go out, the first thing they see in the real physical world is somebody taking care of his field, plowing and sowing. I gotta be able to take care of my family. And what is, their, what is Rabbi Shimon's response to this? What, the same, what's he say? Well, darn it, what are you doing? You should be studying Torah. Look what I just did for 12 years. That's what Jews are supposed to do. Not Derech Eretz. Talmud Torah. And? Every place, they every place they turned their eyes to was immediately burned. Meaning? What does that mean? These people were killed. No, they were killed, but what, what, what does it show? How punitive he was. How punitive who was? Shimon Bar Yochai. Shimon Bar Yochai. The passion with which he held this opinion and the almost hatred that he had in, for others who didn't agree with him was so strong that it's as if everything you know, was burned in front of him like Superman in the X-ray's eyes, right? Everything that came before him was now literally destroyed. Because all that you need to you don't need to worry about the physical. It's only the spiritual. And these people shouldn't be doing this. Now you'll notice it's Shimon Bar Yochai who says this and they they turned the Hebrew says to Shinodim Einahem, it's him and his son. His son is given this power as well. It's going to be important later. Okay? Now, what's he doing? Everywhere he goes, he's burning up the physical. A heavenly voice, a black coal, came out and said to them, Did you go out to destroy my world? Return to your case. Okay. Who's the black coal, supposedly? Supposedly, the Kodesh Baruch Hu. And what does the Kodesh Baruch Hu say? There's a physical part to life. Yeah. These people are doing what they're supposed to be doing. It's Derek Eretz of Yishmael. They're out there working. Doesn't mean they're not. They're not. They're negating Torah study. Doesn't mean they're also not putting Torah study out there too. They're doing my will. I said of Da'ula Shomra. I gave you the land to be able to work it and to keep it. That's what the, what I, they're told to do. And what are you doing? Destroying my world. How dare you? You think this is the world that you want to, that you want to live in? You don't deserve to live in it. Get back into the cave. Get back into the cave. You're not ready for my world. You're in now destroying what I created. You have no right to do so. And the, what you're doing is not only wrong, but it's against God's plan. It's interesting that all of their Torah study over those 12 years didn't really teach them very much. It taught them the wrong things, in fact. Mm -hmm. Okay? It taught them to negate the physical, to recognize they were the ones who were always right, and their concept. Now, you can relate this to whatever you want to your argument of before in the taxi cab. Okay? No, no. It's exactly what it is. Everybody else doesn't know what they're doing. We're studying Torah. We're the ones who know everything. We're saving the Jewish people. We're not going to the army. We're, we, whatever it takes for us to, to keep our way of life the way it is, that's what's the, the important part. No buses, no stores, no movies. Okay. And it's so important that this time God didn't send Elijah. He took care of himself. Mm -hmm. Right. Very good. There's no messenger here. It's God himself.
And that's what the Batkol is. This is a powerful message. This is Rabbi Ishmael's message. Okay? Derech Eretz is part of life. Torahim Derech Eretz. Not against, but with. So they go back to the cave. They go back to this pristine, mystical, spiritual place. Commune once more. So the 12 comes back various ways. So maybe it's good. Okay? Why? Anybody know where it comes from? That's why you say Kaddish for 11 months. Correct. So we have the tradition, it's found in terms of Rabbi Akiva's statement, that the soul goes through various aliyot, various moves towards heaven, but it must go through some sort of what we would call a purgatory, if you will. And those who are considered to be Rishaim need 12 months to go through that time. We don't believe anybody who that we're saying Kaddish for deserves that, which is why we don't say Kaddish for 12 months. We actually say it for 11. There are other reasons as well, as I've suggested to make a difference in the same way as we do other cases like eating uh, even matzah on Pesach, on Pesach. You're allowed to eat matzah all year long except Arab Pesach or the month before. You're, you blow the shofar every day during the month of El except for Shabbat, except the day before. To show a separation. This is why I think this is to really the case too. The, uh, so that when your site comes, it's a special day. After you've sat for a month and your site comes, if it's just a regular day, it's just a regular day. Uh, the movement, the conservative movement, actually wrote the tshuva of, of saying Kaddish for 12 months. I think it's wrong. I think this stoppage is really very important, so that when your tzitzit comes, you recognize the year has passed. It's not like yesterday or the day before. And you all know, since most of you say Kaddish, when you sit for the first time after the 11 months, it's like, wow. Okay, so, but the the tradition has it, and you know, you want to read the Lees and Weaseltier's book on Kaddish. It's all about this particular uh, story, the legend uh, of Rabbi Akiva, and the son. Some he sees a son who says, "You must pray for your ch- your father, twelve months, and all that kind of stuff." It's a late midrash, but be that as it may, that's what's tied into here. So the soul goes through for twelve months. What does that symbolize now for our story? Right, well, where, does that, where does that line come from, though? It's a tradition, part of tradition. It's just tradition. It's not from Psalms or. No, 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 no. Okay. no, no. But the sentence of the wicked in hell is 12 months. That's that, I'm telling you, it's a tradition. Okay. It's not, it does not come from. Okay. Okay? But what does it mean in our story? They've been punished. They're being punished. It's as if they're going through purgatory in order to become pure once more. They don't get it. They don't understand physical life. This spiritual sense and mystical approach is not all there is. They have to go through almost a retraining. And what happens after the 12 months? They run out. Okay. They go, got, now the Kodesh Baruch Hu comes back. Not Elijah, but the Kodesh Baruch Hu says, okay. Go out of the cave. They went out. Now, what's going to happen? This time. Wherever his son Rabbi Elazar smote, 
Okay, who learned the lesson and who didn't learn the lesson? The father learned the lesson, the son didn't. The son remained this craving zealot. And everything he tried to destroy, Rabbi Yeshimon Bar Yochai healed. The father, with the maturity of knowledge and, and longevity, got it. He got it. Unfortunately, the son never did. Shimon Bar Bechai becomes one of our heroes. His son never does. Elazar ben Shimon, ben Shimon does not. Okay? Some get this, some get it, and some don't. But why would he praise his son in the next sentence? My son, you and I are sufficient for the world. Okay, you and I are sufficient for the world, meaning we can't exist together. Okay, we really can't exist together. It's good enough, but to be honest with you, he separates from his son. Okay? It's, you would think that it's good enough, but it's not good enough. That's what it really means. Okay? So we go on. When the eve of the Shabbat arrived, they saw a certain old man who was holding two bunches of myrtle running at twilight. Okay, what's the Hebrew? Adas. Okay, he was holding two branches of Hadassim on Erev Shabbat. They said to him, why do you need these? He said to them to honor the Shabbat. Ah, this guy's picking out myrtles for what purpose? Spiritual purpose. Now the lesson is coming to them. This person simply isn't doing it to maintain his physical needs and his sustenance. They're also involved the world to honor Shabbat and to honor God. They said, would not one suffice for you? They don't know an answer now. This, these great scholars, who are they turning to? A certain old man who was living in this world, who was preparing for Shabbat, and they say to him, well, wait a minute, that's a nice idea, but couldn't you just do one of them? They don't know. These are the great rabbis, right? They've been studying for at least 12 years. Maybe the next 12 months too. And who tells them, who's going to teach them now? A certain old man. We don't even know his name. Okay? We don't even know anything about him except he values the Shabbat. So all of their knowledge, all of their mystical approaches, all of their great study, eh, leave it in the cave. You come out into the world, you've got to be practical. And a certain old man is going to teach them a great lesson. So they said, would not one suffice for you? And he said, one for Zachor, to remember the Shabbat, and one for Shabbat. There you go. Okay? It says twice, Zachor v'shamor v'dibur echad, you know, from l'chad dodi. Yes, ma'am. Like two loaves of challah? Right, no, no. The challah doesn't represent that part of thing. It represents the manna, uh, the, the twice getting the manna on Friday, Boker Friday and Shabbat. But, Zachor v'shamor v'dibur echad. Right? They're supposed to be said at the same time. They're two separate things, and they, one relates to, to remembering in the Exodus, one remembers to observing the Shabbat, etc. So you have all of this concept. They, this old man is teaching them. And what happens at that point? Shimon said to his son, See how dear is a commandment to Israel? And Rabbi Elazar's mind was set at ease. Shimon Bariachai has learned his lesson. What is he basically saying? 
these people doing this regular work are actually doing it for a spiritual purpose. There is there is with Torah. They're involved in work so that they can commemorate, observe, keep the Shabbat. They're not simply doing it for their own purposes. It's not for simply their physical needs. It's for a greater purpose. And Shimu and Ella's and who's teaching it? The father. Shimon Bar Yochai, the great zealot, and he, he, he finally assuages his son, Rabbi Elazar. And that ties right back to the beginning. Rome is building exactly. stuff not for us, but for their, their exactly. own purposes. But the people of Israel are working for themselves. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Very good. And eventually what happens? We survive and they don't. Okay? We survive. Victory, again, history is written by victors. Okay, not by the losers. This story then goes on to to other parts of it too. I, don't, I didn't want to. We did, that part is not a, as critical uh, for our parts of it too. But the story considered a midrash. No, the story is considered a story. The um, it, it's what we learn in, in these kind of things is um, Newsner wrote a, a book called the Oral Torah, and basically what he suggests is. A lot of this the Torah is the oral Torah, different Torahs, etc. One of them is the the, the um, Chachamim themselves are considered to be Torah incarnate. We learn from them both the good and the bad, in the same way as we learn from Moses, we learn from Abraham. Their stories and the stories attached to them are part of our tradition and part of an ongoing thing. It's not a midrash in the sense of a, of a classic midrash of taking a biblical text and expounding on it. It's a story. It's a legend. The legend continues to play. It's as contemporary as you can get. It plays off into the argument that you had in the cab. It plays off eventually into the period of the Omer. It plays off into Lagba Omer and how we extol Shimon Bar Yochai. It plays into the authorship of the Zohar. The translation Zohar was just finished by Danny Matt after first time into English. Okay? It all all of this is contemporary. And it plays off into politics of the state of Israel. It plays off into what is our role? Is it Torah? Is it Derek Eretz? Is do you work in order to provide for Torah? You study Torah because that's going to protect you. How do you mix both? Remember Rabbi Basic Anabai basically said, take care of your needs, then come study Torah. You're not going to have your head in it if you're not being able to supply the food for your family and for yourself. Okay, right. The kolel supplies, whether we like it or not, the, the wherewithal for these men to continue to study. So they don't have to worry about it. When in the generation before me at the JTS, everything was paid for. Room, board, food, maid service, and everything. So, they could sit and study. My generation began to change. Uh, the end of my tenure there began to change a little bit. Today, they're paying tens of thousands of dollars to go to school, and it's changed the whole nature of the study aspect of it, because they also have to keep jobs and loans and everything else. What happened to Ben What happened to Ben Gurion? I don't know. I don't think oh, anything said, happens. I, I think he just gets his own, and I, you know, I don't think we know much about him after that. I have to check. Oh, okay. Current ideas of monasteries or convents are also part of this 
this concept that you only do study and nothing. I mean, it exists in the 21st century. No, I have the answer. Mm -hmm. Yes, it clearly does, but it doesn't exist in the same realm. Convents and monasteries are having major problems compared to how important they used to be. They, they're not able to populate them in the same realm. Okay, it's very difficult to set yourself off from society today and take, to get the wherewithal to be able to support it. Where that was considered to be the desideratum in the Middle, middle Ages. You have to check your smartphone. I mean, who's going to? Yeah. How does the, the story in Mauritius with the with the vanishing of the of humanity from the uh, from the Garden of Eden and the and the injunction that you're going to have to work? You have to work the fields. I'm going to make you out there. You're going to have to work it. By the sweat of your brow, you're going to. But that becomes both, if you will, the curse, but also the blessing. Because you're able to work the land and don't expect. Which goes back to the, for your first question why, when we have food in front of us, we already say a blessing because don't expect us to be granted it like it would have been in the Garden of Eden. To finish off the last story, I found the source. Um, one day, Rabbi Shimon Bar went out to the market. He saw Yehuda ben Gerim. He said, Is this one still in the world? He set his eyes upon him, Yehuda, and turned him into a heap of bones. Wow. So, it's a continuation of the story. Okay? Where? Where? That's his son. That's his son. Yeah, that's his son's name. This time he's called Rabbi Rabbi Sorry, that's what I mean. I'm going back to that. My son knew when I was the sheep of the world, and then Paul was son Rabbi. I'm listening. And then how it ended. And I think what else this does is teach humility. Because between the time when they thought they were sufficient for the world, it's important to read these stories from a literary point of view are they actually truthful we don't know is there a kernel of truth yeah there's a kernel of truth attached to it without a doubt but that were the views of Rome you know by the Jewish community you you, pa you were pacifist, you were a zealot, you were non-committal, as the case may be. And there were informers. But these stories are crafted stories. They're very delicately edited. The names are critical. The places. And what I tried to, to show was that if you read this story, not just as history, but as a legend, which it's, a, it's a didactic purpose. It ultimately teaches you into modern times of the importance of being in this world and living in this world and recognizing that others have to live in this world as well otherwise go back to the cave get out of this world you don't who thinks you are right when the end you're right this old man is the one who's who trumps them both if you will from the point of view of being able to say I'm the you know I'm working and I'm serving God, and Shimon Bar Yochai says, hmm, now I get it. Now I get it. Last comment. But that's one of those enduring arguments that's never going to be solved in the world. 
That's Jew. That's life. So that's why it's a great story. That's why it's a great story. That's why it's all politics in the state of Israel. I mean, this is as new as it is. You know, it could change the names, and it could be. Easy. All right. Hopefully, as enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you.